Thank you for that, Brian. I believe that ministered to a lot, a lot of folks, a lot of us today. Well, you know, it's been, um, this is the 10th week that we have not been able to meet in person. And I know you are as tired of it as I am. And I appreciate your patience throughout this whole process with the church. And uh, I know that uh, things are quite different. But, you know, we are starting to, we, of course, I say starting. We have been thinking about coming back together since this whole thing started. But now it's becoming more of a reality as we're thinking about uh, when are we going to come back together in, in person. You notice some new faces up here leading worship. And uh, that's kind of part of it. So we, you read the email this past Wednesday as we talked about June the 14th as being the day that we're going to come back together. Uh, you'll see how that's outlined when you read the email if you haven't done so already. But, you know, we, a lot of people think that, you know, we closed the church. Well, the church didn't close because the only way you can close the church is with the rapture. And, uh, I, you know, when I believe Jesus Christ, when he comes back for us, then, then the church is taken out. That's the only time you can close church uh, because we're the church. You and I, we're the church of Jesus Christ, so the church has never been closed. The buildings have been closed, if you would. The physical location where we meet during the week uh, has been closed. So, you know, I, I told you that uh, a lot of what I preach and share with you on Sundays and Wednesdays come out of my own reading and Bible study, and, and I'm going to, I told you last Sunday that that was the last of the returns series, Returning with All of Our Heart, but I'm, I'm going to kick it into another gear as far as return. And uh, I'm starting this little mini-series within the mini-series of return called Returning to the Temple. Because as I was reading in Second Chronicles, uh, I saw that they were returning to their place of worship, to their temple. And I saw a lot of parallels of things you and I need to think about before we return to our physical temple, if you will. And I asked this question as I was reading that, and of course it answers it before we ever ask it, was why was the temple closed in the first place in the Old Testament? Why was the temple closed? Well, there were two reasons the temple closed in those days. Number one was the idolatry of the people, mainly the king, but also all the people. You see any parallels? You think, you know, I tend to see everything at God's hand. I tend to believe that everything that happens, God's in control of. Now, you may not think that that's true, especially related to closing the temple, closing the church. Why is the church having to close? But I've tried to walk you through this, through the scriptures over the last 10 weeks, and helping you to see that God's hand's in all of it. And we can balk at it, or we can surrender to it. And I don't mean surrender to uh, uh, ungodly authority. I'm talking about surrendering to, to the authority of God. But God closed the temple. Uh, one reason was because of the kings and the people's idolatry. Many times it was the kings that, that shut the temple down themselves. They, they shut it down because they were leading the nation to worship other gods. And they took all the articles out of the temple and, and used it to worship false gods. Or they brought 
defiled things into the temple to worship false gods. That was, that was an abomination to God. So what happened ultimately was that God removed the people from the land and brought foreigners against his land and his people who closed the temple down. And ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of God. That beautiful structure that Solomon built and paved and, and lined everything with gold, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed and took all those articles and all that gold back to Babylon with him. That's why the temple was closed. Now you think about it. Why would God do something? Why would God allow something to happen like has happened in our time where the churches have had to be closed? Do we need to think about this possibility? That maybe it's because we have become, like the children of Israel, idolatrous in our worship. That we have used the Sunday morning experience as the only spiritual experience in our lives. And God had to shut that down to show us the idolatry that was in our heart. I tend to see God's hand in everything. I hope you will. But now it's time to think about returning to the temple. And that's what I want us to see in 2 Chronicles. So if you have your Bibles, you can have them open to 2 Chronicles. And uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screen. But before they could return to the temple, so the next four weeks between now and June the 14th, we're going to be looking at returning to the temple. There was a preparation Preparations had to be made before the people could be regathered and before worship could be restored at the temple, things had to happen. And that's what I've been trying to help us see over the last 10 weeks is what is it that needs to happen in our church, in the lives of God's people uh, during this time, and especially now that we're thinking about regathering. What are some things? Now, you know, if, as we talked about, as you saw in the email, when we physically regather, there's some things we're going to have to think about, things that we don't want to have to do, things we've never had to do. You know, having, making sure that everything gets wiped down and cleaned up and we stay so far apart and we don't shake hands, we don't pass offering plates. I mean, all that's just utterly ridiculous to me. But it's necessary during these days. So I'm talking not about those kind of preparations. I'm talking about other kinds of preparations. So look with me, if you would, at Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 29 through 34. We'll be a little bit in chapter 15. But before the people could be regathered and before worship could be restored, the first thing that had to happen was all the idols and all the defiled things had to be removed. There was a removal of all those idols and things that defiled. Now, these idols and these defiled things had been brought in uh, to the land and to the temple at the will of the people and at the whims of the people. It was not just ungodly things, and that's what I want us to think about. These idols were ungodly things, the, these uh, images of Baal and uh, these Asherah poles that you read about, and these other uh, idolatrous structures. Those were ungodly things. But I want us to think about not just the ungodly things in our lives or, or in this church, but the unnecessary. 
and the distracting. Those are idols too. They may be good, they, they may be okay and nothing morally wrong with them, but look at the unnecessary, the distracting that have been brought in to our church or to our homes or to our lives that um, have distracted us from serving and loving and returning to God with all of our heart. In fact, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 6 through 9, it's those things that brought the Lord's anger against God's people. Look at verses 6 through 9 of Second Chronicles 29. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps. They have not burned incense or burnt, offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. So the reason the Lord's anger was brought against his people was because of their idolatry. Well, we need to remove what we see here is there was a removal of idols from the temple. Look at verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 29. This is Hezekiah, the king. He was a good king, and he spoke. He said, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Carry out the rubbish. Get rid of that which is defiling the temple of God. In chapter 33, Manasseh. It says in verse 15, that he took away the foreign gods and the idols. Now, Manasseh was responsible for bringing some of that stuff in, but he had a change of heart. Remember, we talked to him, about him uh, a couple of weeks ago. But here he has a change of heart, and it says he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. So there was a removal in those days of the idols and the rubbish and the defiled things out of the temple. But there was also a removal of those things from the land. Like King Asa in chapter 15, in verse 8, it says what Asa did. We looked at Asa briefly a few weeks ago too. Said, and when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. What if we could get rid of all the idols in this nation and worship the one true God? What kind of nation would this be if all the idols, all the abominable things that take uh, away from the one true God were removed? Well, that's what Asa had done. Josiah, King Josiah did the same thing and. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, in verses 3 through 8, says in the eighth year of his reign, and by the way, he was only eight years old when he began to reign, so by this time he's 16, he was still young, he began to seek God, the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces. 
He made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes, which he had broken down the altars when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So Josiah was being very thorough with his cleansing of the land. Not only did he remove them, but he crushed them to powder and scattered the powder over the graves. He, he slaughtered those who worshipped them. I'm not calling for that. I'm calling, though, for a removal. God is calling for a removal of these idols from his people's lives and from his people's land. So there, had to, there was a removal before there could be a, a return to the temple. There had to be a removal. Now you, we're going to apply this more in just a moment. But secondly, we see there was a repair. There was a, they had to repair the altar. They had to repair the temple. Well, Solomon's temple was destroyed, so it didn't have to be repaired. It had to be actually rebuilt. We'll look at that in a little bit. But the altar... And the temple had to be repaired or rebuilt. Why? Because it had been neglected. It had been ignored. It was in a state of disrepair and decay. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 8, Asa, it says, we already looked at this verse, it says, He restored the altar of the Lord. And chapter 33 and verse 16, Manasseh says, He repaired the altar of the Lord. And in chapter 34 and verse 8, it said, In the 18th year of his reign, Josiah, when he had purged the land and the temple, and we keep reading, and we see in, through the rest of the verses, through 11, that he is working to restore and repair the house of God. We come to the book of Ezra, when now they are returning back from Babylon to the land of of Judah after they've been in captivity for 70 years. And here's what it says that Ezra was responsible for. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua the son of Jozadak and his brethren the priest and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of God in Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases. They offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. And then uh, verses 7 through 13 talk about them rebuilding and repairing the temple and the altar of God that had been destroyed. You see, before there can be a return to the temple, there has to be a removal of that which defiles it there has to be a repairing of that which has been neglected and decayed. And then thirdly, there needs to be a purification process. And, you know, we know that we're going to have to sanitize everything. But that's not the kind of purification we're talking about here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 4 and 5, here's what Hezekiah said. He brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square, and he said to them, Hear me, Levites, sanctify yourselves, purify yourselves, purify the house of the Lord God, and carry out the rubbish from this place. Look at verse 15. 
And they gathered their brethren and they purified or sanctified themselves. And then it says that they went throughout the, the temple and the house of the Lord, purifying it. And in verse 17, they began to purify or sanctify on the first day of the month. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. So before the people could regather, there had to be this purification process of the people, the priest, the temple, the altar. And this purification process required blood sacrifices. If you look at verse 20, it says, King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom. And he commanded them to offer them on the altar of the Lord. And they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. So you see, in the Old Testament, God had removed them from the temple. God had removed the people even from the land, even allowed the temple to be destroyed because of their wickedness and their idolatry. Now, we have to do some spiritual soul searching, my friends. We can't just play games with God because this happened and think it's just ridiculous. We, God has allowed this, and it would be a sin and a shame to waste the opportunity to look at our souls, to look at our churches, and what are we doing? Why did God allow this? It's not just because we got this some random uh, virus that came from who knows where. God had a hand in this. There's a spiritual reason. And, and if we ignore our own hearts, if we ignore our own churches, we are doing ourselves a disservice. It begs the question about the physical place of worship here at Dawson Street Baptist Church, and it begs the question about every physical place of worship in the world. Are there idols that need to be torn down? Are there some sacred cows at Dawson Street Baptist Church that need to be torn down? Are there some physical structures and things that we may not even know about in, in our church houses, and our church buildings that need to be removed? Are there some defiled things that's, that God wants no part of? How about the altar? Does the altar need to be repaired? You say, well, the altar looks fine to me. Yes, but your problem is, is these altars are largely empty on any given day of worship. When, the God, when God's people ought to be on their knees and their faces before God, these altars are empty. Because God's people think it's, it's embarrassing to step out of your pew and, and come kneel at the altar. It needs to be repaired. And God may have driven us out of this place because we haven't used this place right here like we ought to have. Another reason the altar was used was for sacrifice. When's the last time you sacrificed anything for God? Your schedule, your money. You say, well, I tithe and I give, but yeah, is it really a sacrifice or have you just allotted it in your budget and now it's not even a sacrifice for you? Or your time. Well, I'll give God time when I have time. That's not a sacrifice. And maybe God's driven us from these buildings because we're not, we don't know how to sacrifice anything for God anymore. How about purification? 
Does God's building need to be purified? And I'm not talking about taking the little Clorox wipes and the, and the Lysol spray, going everywhere, sanitizing everything. I'm talking about do we need to do a, a thorough house cleaning, spiritually speaking, in the house of God, physically. Now here's the clincher. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks himself to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be wise. God said, we're the temple of God. So not only do we need to look at this physical structure of purification, we need to look inside our hearts and our lives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, do you not know that your body, your body, what you do to your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you. What are you doing to your body? What are you doing? It, you know what? It's not your body. Let's keep reading. He said, this body that you have is not yours. He says, you have it from God. You are not your own. For you have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That body you have is not your own. You can't just go mark it up any way you want to because it ain't yours. Does God want you to do that to your body? Does God want you to have sex with anybody that comes along just because you want to? No, he doesn't. That's not your body. That's God's body. Does God want you to put in alcohol or drugs or any other foreign substance in your body that's uh, destructive to you? No, that's the temple of the living God. We've got to purify ourselves. We're worried about when can we come back and meet together. God said, I'm worried about what's going on inside my temple. My temple. Your bodies. My body. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are God's household having been built on the foundation and the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, God calls his people the building. This isn't the building of God. This is brick and mortar. This is wood. We're the building of God. Fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in which you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You, my dear brother and sister in Christ, we, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the building. We are the temple. We are the house of God. That's what this whole series of returning to the Lord has been about, is returning to the Lord our God in our lives. So what do we need to do? The same thing. We need to remove the idols and the defiled things from our homes, from our lives. 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 1, Hezekiah had removed all the idols from the temple, all the idols from the land, and, and it says, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah 
and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. In other words, when Hezekiah finished the temple, the people went, they went home and did clean, clean house at home and around them. What is it that's defiling your home? What is this defiling your heart? What is it that is a distraction to you from serving God, loving God, returning to God with all that you are? And we need to remove these things from our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? In other words, my heart has no room for an idol if it's God's temple. And that's the problem back in the Second Chronicles days was they were setting up idols in God's temple. That's why God removed them. I wonder if God removed us from this house because we had set up idols in his temple, our lives, our hearts, our homes. And we're giving more attention and more time to stupid little things like this and, and, and the television and, and sports and athletics and pleasure-seeking than we are to God. Perhaps that's one reason he's removed us from this physical structure is because we've set up idols. And it would be a sin and a shame to, to go right back to doing what we've always done because, granted, he'll do it again. Because you say, I, here's the question I had as I read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and saw how each king in succession had more idols to remove and, and more altars to cleanse and more temples. Well, there was only one altar. There was only one temple. There was only one Jerusalem. Why? Because the people kept bringing them back. They, kept, they didn't learn their lesson. And, and if we don't learn our lesson, we're going to repeat the, their failures. As much as we've hated these last 10 weeks, God may have to do it over and over again till we get it. When are God's people going to get it that God alone is worth our time, our attention, our resources, our love, our devotion. Remove the idols. Remove the defiled things. Then we need to repair and rebuild the altar. The place where we meet with God is our hearts, our souls, and our spirits. We've got to remove it, but we also have to, those idols, but we also have to repair it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near with a true, genuine heart, a cleansed heart. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. First Peter Peter says in chapter 3, verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That is, set apart God as God in your heart. Who's God in your heart right now? I have to answer that question too. Is Lee Waller God of his own heart? Am I God of my destiny? Am I God of my choices? Am I God of my body? Am I God of my time? Am I God of my money, what I want to do? Or is God God of those things? And if Lee Waller's God, then God's got to do something to Lee Waller. God's got to work on me. God's got to discipline me. God's got to break me down. Get my attention. I believe he's got the church's attention in the last 10 weeks. 
I just hope the church of God is paying attention. Sanctify the Lord God. we got to remove the idols, repair the altar. Let me ask you this as we talk about repairing the altar. This is as much to me as it is to you. How about your family altar? How about the altar in your home? How about with your wife, with your husband, with your children? How about your own personal quiet time with God? Where you meet with God daily. How's that altar looking these days? You know, even preachers suffer from that from time to time. I'll never forget a story. I remember it unless I get dementia or something like that. I'll remember it to the day I die. Our pastoral work professor at New Orleans Seminary used this illustration. He said, I always had a place where I met with God. He said it was a special room. It was just a, a room in our house that I had a recliner. He said, it was at the, in that recliner that I would sit and read God's Word. Is that that recliner that I would get down and kneel before the Lord and talk to the Lord? He said, but because of a pastor's busy schedule and demands upon his time and, and him would cause him to, it wouldn't cause him to, his own heart did that, but he would allow that to cause him to drift from God. Many times he, he said, I always had to pass that room to get from my bedroom to the front door. And he said, and every time I'd pass that room, he said, I'd see that recliner. And I'd just keep walking. He said, God would prick my heart. God would say this to him, Joe, his name was Joe Coffin, just recently went to be with the Lord. He said, Joe, I miss you. And Joe would keep walking and say, Lord, I'm busy. I'll get back to you later. Keep walking. I know that happens in your life because it sometimes happens in mine. How about the altar, your altar, where you meet with God? It needs to be repaired, doesn't it? Where you spend time in this Word, instead of henpecking at Scriptures, at your favorite ones, that you're actually in the Word, reading it. How do you get to places like 2 Chronicles 29? Because you're reading the Bible through. You're hearing the whole counsel of God. You're not just henpecking. We need to remove the idols. We need to repair the altar. And we need to purify ourselves. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to pinpoint the sin in our lives. It comes through confession and repentance. God allowed the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem after the temple had been destroyed, after they had spent 70 years in uh, exile in Babylon. He sent three men back. Zerubbabel, he sent back to rebuild the temple at Cyrus' command. Ezra, he sent back to teach them the word of God and to restore worship. Nehemiah, he sent back to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. Could you be a Zerubbabel? Could you be an Ezra? Could you be a Nehemiah? But Nehemiah chapter 9, it's a whole chapter. I don't have time to read it all. But it's, it's basically a prayer of confession that Ezra is leading. I said Nehemiah 9. I'm, I'm, make sure I'm in Nehemiah 9. But it's basically a prayer of confession that they're praying that um, is being led. And here's some of the things. I'm going to highlight some of the verses. It starts from the very beginning of Israel's history almost and kind of traces it to their present day. They're even confessing the sins of their forefathers. said, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. Some of the things that Israel had to go through was because of the sins of their ancestors. Same for us. Some, some of the, what we're going through today is because of the sins of our ancestors. 
We need to confess, the Bible says in Jeremiah, the, the iniquities of our fathers. Just acknowledge, God, our fathers have sinned just as we do. Verse 32 says, Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully. We have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law. Listen, that covers everybody. Our rulers, our, our spiritual leaders, our, our fathers and grandfathers, the common people, none of us have kept your law nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you've testified against them. Listen, they were confessing the sins of everybody as well as their own personal sin. We need to purify ourselves and this purification requires a blood sacrifice just like it did in those days. They sacrificed all those animals on the altar ours requires a blood sacrifice and it is the blood of Jesus Christ the Bible says in Hebrews 9 22 without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin you need to claim the cleansing of Christ's blood you need to confess your sin before God you need to confess all those idols and just lay them out and remove them and, and do like Josiah and crush them down, down to powder and scatter them and, and, and maybe even a physical sense I remember when I was a youth pastor, well, I was actually a pastor and a youth pastor at the same time. Youth pastor at one church, pastor of another. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, we had uh, one of our young men, and uh, he got convicted that uh, the music he was listening to, and um, it was this grunge, heavy metal garbage and all these satanic lyrics and all kinds of stuff, and, and the Lord convicted him. And he said, Lee, I want this out of my house. He said, how can I get it out of my house? I said, well, here. I just said, you know, bag it all up in a black garbage can. And he couldn't drive at the time. He was too young. So he said, and I said, I'll come by. We'll go to the river. I'm admitting to littering. But I'm not going to tell you which river. But he bagged it all up in a black garbage bag. We tied it in a knot. We drove to the river, and we threw it off in the river. Because to him, that was an idol. To him, that was a distraction. And what is it in your life? The music, the entertainment, whatever, the books, the magazines, the internet, whatever it is. What is it that you need to crush to powder? Ask God to forgive you. Claim the cleansing of his blood. See, it can require drastic action. I'm going to show you some drastic action. I hope you're following along with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 16. Uh, Asa had to take some drastic action. Listen to this. He removed his mother from being the queen because she had made an obscene image of an Asherah. And he cut down her obscene image. He crushed it and he burned it. But he made his mama. Told his own mama, Mama, you ain't queen no more. That's drastic. Some of you here and some of you listening, you need to take some drastic action to get rid of the idols, to purify your hearts. Ezra chapter 9 and 10 outline, outlines for us some more drastic action. When Nehemiah came back, one of the things that disturbed him, or Ezra that came back, one thing that disturbed him was that he saw how many of the Israelites had married pagan women. And that was forbidden in the law of God. 
And these pagan women were, were leading them astray. And they had children from these pagan women. So you know what Ezra told them to do? And you know what they did? They drove away their pagan wives and their pagan and the children from their pagan wives. Banished them. Now listen, I'm not advocating you to banish your wife or your husband or your kids. What I am advocating is you look at the drastic action you may have to take or we may all have to take to purify the house of the Lord. Our lives, our hearts, our souls. When they did those things, when they removed the idols, when they repaired the altar, and they purified themselves, God allowed them to come back. God allowed them to come back. Is it time to come back? You think it is. I want it to be. But only God knows our hearts. Is it really time and God's time for the people to return? The reasons the temple were destroyed or closed was the people's idolatry and God's removal of them from the land. The reasons the temple will be reopened is because leaders made reforms. The kings made reforms. We need to pray for our president and his cabinet. We need to pray for the pastors of this land and spiritual leaders in, of churches to make reforms. And you know what I saw in scriptures every time the king made reforms? The people followed and God blessed and God honored. God restored. He stirred even pagan hearts. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that he stirred up the heart of a, a pagan king named Cyrus to make this proclamation. Said, verse 22, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he put it in writing, saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. You know that verse is repeated in the opening chapter of Ezra, chapter 1. And then God not only stirred the heart of Cyrus, but God stirred the heart of his people. For it says in Ezra 1, 5, Then the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. God stirred, moved their spirits. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. So God stirred the heart of the king and the heart of the spiritual leaders, and he stirred the hearts of the people. My prayer is that God is not only stirring your hearts to come back to church together, because I know your foot's on the accelerator, but I'm praying that God is stirring your heart to return to him his and his temple. Are you returning to him in his temple? This is not his temple. Sorry, folks, this ain't his temple. <laughs> you are. Have you returned to God in his temple? By removing all the idols and defiled things, the ungodly, the unnecessary, the distracting? 
Are you repairing his altar in your heart that is suffering from neglect and decay? The place where you meet with him day after day? Repair that first. We've got about four weeks between now and June 14th. You'd be working on those things. Removing, preparing, and purifying your heart. Even if it takes drastic measures. God's desire in my prayer is that we're more concerned and more attentive to and more diligent about meeting with God in His temple than we are about meeting together in our building. Let me say that again. God's desire and our prayer ought to be that we are more concerned and more attentive to and more diligent about meeting with God and returning to Him in His temple than we are about meeting with each other in our building. Returning to God in your heart may be God's prerequisite for returning together in our building. Father, I know you've spoken to my heart with this message. I pray that you've spoken to every heart that has watched. God, I pray that we would personalize this, that we would take this personally. In other words, that we wouldn't sit there thinking, I hope so-and-so is paying attention. God, that we would take this message personally, even if it hurts, even if we're offended by it. Because, Lord, that usually means we're guilty. We need to do some deep soul searching. God, we don't want to come back together the same way we had to separate. I want us to come back different. Maybe even drastically different. That's what it takes. Starting with me. I don't want to be the same. I pray that you would give us a holy discontentment with the way things are. Spiritually. Not only in our country. I think we're all pretty disgusted with what's going on in our country. But Lord, that we'd be disgusted with what's going on in our homes. In our hearts. Our thoughts. And we would sanctify you in our hearts, in our homes. Because, Lord, I believe that's the prerequisite for us coming back to this building. God, only you know when that happens. Only you know when, our, when we've returned to you with all of our heart. Lord, I pray that we would soon, quickly, today. For the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Thank you for speaking to us. Now help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being a part of this service today. I pray that you have been blessed and encouraged as well as...